0: We'll continue looking at the Gospel of John. Uh, We started this back in January, so you know I I have this vision as your pastor that when I stand up here, you already have it open because you know the Bible open. You know where we're going to be, and uh, you're ready. Uh, And I hope you're enjoying the Gospel of John. Uh, It's a great study. It's a good book. It's a simple book, yet profoundly impactful and Uh, extremely deep at times. We called the series Come and See, because what John is doing and what we're seeing and learning is it all surrounds this invitation of come and see who Jesus is. Come and see what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. Just come and see Jesus. And John tells us that he wants people to see Jesus. He wants people to come and see Jesus because he wants people to believe Uh, In John chapter 20, he gives the purpose of the book that he has written. He says, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. John, one of the last disciples, probably the last living disciple at the time he's writing, desperately wants a second and third and fourth and fifth and multiple generations to come and see Jesus so that they would believe he is the Son of God and that by believing, they would have life. Not experience death and darkness, but that they would have Life, everything in John's gospel is pointing to this purpose. Now, it says that he's only giving us a glimpse of these miracles and signs and that Jesus did so many things. And you can read on in John, at near the end of John, you see that Jesus did so many miracles, there's not enough paper in the world to write down everything Jesus did. And so John picks uh, in his gospel seven main miracles that kind of go with the purpose we've already seen several of them we saw Jesus turn water into wine back in chapter 2 we've seen Jesus heal the royal official son in John chapter 4 we saw him heal a paralyzed man and tell him to get up and walk on the Sabbath which caused a little controversy in chapter 5 last week we saw him feed 5,000 plus people probably more like 20,000 people with a Lunchable I mean, he is, Jesus is doing amazingly powerful things in his ministry. Today we'll see the the fifth of the seven signs. And so we're kind of methodically working through the public ministry of Jesus. Now when we get to this fifth sign, when you read chapter six as a whole, as one unit, it almost seems out of place you go from feeding to 5,000 next week Jesus is going to say I am the bread of life and so you've got feeding with bread here I am the bread of life here what's going on in the middle but like I said last week the the thrust of chapter six is that Jesus is greater than Moses two of the prominent things that Moses did or experienced or led his people through was uh, when they got manna from heaven and then, when Moses led the people across the dry ground as God parted the Red Sea. The, those are two very rememberable things in the Jewish community. So, last week we had the comparison between the bread and Jesus feeding the 5,000, sustaining them, leading them, providing for them. And today, echoes of Exodus as Jesus doesn't cross the sea on dry ground, he crosses the sea by walking on the water. He crosses the sea by walking on the water. So let's read, uh, starting in verse 15 this morning, and just this kind of miracle, and we'll kind of unpack what's going on here. Starting in verse 16, excuse me. "When When evening came, the disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, But Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, by the way, that's probably six to nine hours of time, uh, given the, the conditions of the sea, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. It's a very interesting scene, a very interesting setting that's taken place. Again, the disciples are on this kind of spiritual high, this mountaintop experience, because they had just experienced the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, they had seen Jesus do something that only God could do. And so they have this, this moment where now darkness has come, and they are getting in a boat. Now, one might ask, well, why did they decide to go get in a boat at night? So this story is found in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel. And Matthew and Mark give a little more detail than what John gives. John's focused on the miracle. And so when you read these other accounts, you kind of get a better picture of what's going on. When you read Matthew 14, 22, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. So remember what's happening. Uh, they, they fed the 5,000. There's a large group of people. Some of the people want to take Jesus by force and make him king. There's a large group of people who want to take Jesus, turn Jesus into something that he's not. They want to make Jesus fit his mold. Jesus recognized this. He's like, hey, guys, we got to get out of here. This is going to get out of hand. And so he looks at his disciples and says, hey, get in the boat, go. I will be behind you. I will come after you. I'm going to say bye to some people and kind of figure out this, and then, you know, I will be there. And so what happens is actually while they get in the boat and go, Jesus goes up to a mountain where he prays by himself. Okay, so what I want you to see in this first one is Jesus actually sends the disciples into the situation that they find themselves in. And the disciples obediently follow the commands of Jesus. They obediently go down and get into the boat. And so it's evening, darkness is falling. Jesus says, go get in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. That's the setting of the story. That's kind of what's happening In these passages, but what we're gonna see is a huge problem starts to happen. The disciples obediently follow the command of Jesus, and they find themselves in a really rough situation. They find themselves facing and struggling with problems. They started across the sea. That word started, it means more than just started uh, because of the verbal tense that it's in, it's in the imperfect tense which means they have started doing something, but they've not yet finished. They've started doing something and they're finding it hard to finish. These are professional fishermen, by the way. They know the sea. They know how to row your boat, okay, gently down the stream. It's kind of roughly down the stream in this passage. So they know what they're doing and these professional fishermen are struggling. They started, but they're having trouble finishing the task. It's like telling Someone, hey, go do the dishes after dinner. Well, I started to do the dishes, but they're not finished yet. I had trouble finishing. I had Oh, this is terrible. This is a long time ago. I had a lawnmower, and, and so I was mowing my yard. I started to mow the yard, and then when Jennifer got home from work, because it was my day off, this was before we came here, uh, she's like, why didn't you finish mowing the yard? It looks terrible. Like, half the yard was mowed, half the yard wasn't. I said, well, I started to mow the yard, and then it got hot, and then I said, and then I went back to start to mow it again, and I was out of gas. <laughs> Still a lot more out of gas. She says, why didn't you go to the gas station? He says, well, I started to go to the gas station, but I ended up at Subway because it was lunchtime. <laughs> see? The, now, that's, that's funny. The disciples have started rowing. You ever been to the gym and seen the row machines? Yeah, those are Satan's gift to the gym, by the way. <laughs> you, you see these people rowing. Just, 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 they're just rowing. It's like, go, go to a lake and get a canoe or something. I mean, that's it. So they're row, row, rowing as hard as they can, as fast as they can. They're getting a workout, okay? They've started, but they have not yet finished the task. And by the way, it's dark. Darkness has set in. Now, you may not know this. This could be news to you. GPS doesn't exist yet, okay? They can't just pick up their phone and say, hey, Siri, how do I get to Capernaum on this sea? Lighthouses really haven't been built yet either. They didn't have the LED spotlights that you deer hunt with at night that's highly illegal and you shouldn't do it. They don't have those spotlights. They may have, they probably have a lantern. Okay, they're not going blind, obviously, but they probably have a little lantern so they can see kind of the immediate area, but they can't see very far. It's possible, but highly unlikely, that on the other side where they're trying to go, there might be a small lantern. The Sea of Galilee is pretty big. If they're kind of maybe a quarter of the way out, they're not going to see a light on the other side. So they're struggling to navigate the darkness. They've started. They haven't yet finished. Jesus is not with them. And Uh, depending on how you kind of do the chronological order, they're probably having in their mind another event where they were on the sea and it came up a really big storm and Jesus was asleep. Okay, remember that story? Jesus is sleeping, it's really bad, they're gonna die, they're gonna drown. They run down and wake Jesus up and he calms the storm. So in the disciples' mind, they're probably thinking, we're out here by ourselves, it's dark. Oh, here comes a storm, very common in the Sea of Galilee, way below sea level, about 700 feet below sea level, the storms come over the mountains off the Mediterranean. It's just pop-up thunderstorms, very severe, very dangerous. You don't want to be on the water, okay? So that to me, they're struggling. And they're like, Jesus isn't here. Last time this happened, Jesus, we could wake Jesus up. And he thinks, where's Jesus? And you know that one of them, if you just know, probably doubting Thomas, because he's the doubter of the group, okay? Assuming he's here by this point. Doubting Thomas is probably like, you know, he sent us here. Jesus put us in this situation and he left us. You know that's going through their minds. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been put in a situation where you felt like Jesus left you? Have you ever been called to do something or be a part of something and it was rocky, it was rough, it was stormy? And you're like, where is Jesus? Where's Jesus? See, that's the problem. There's a stormy sea, they're in darkness, there is no, in their minds at this point, there is no Jesus. And they just don't know what to do. They are absolutely struggling. And this brings a very important point. There are people out there who will tell you that the Christian life is so easy, that following Jesus will bring you health, wealth, and prosperity, and it'll just be fantastic. I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian a long time and it is good, but it don't really bring health, wealth, and prosperity either. The Christian life is not going to be calm seas. When Jesus says, hey, you go and do something, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be resistance. It's going to be hard. Not all the time, but a lot of the time it's going to be hard. It doesn't make Jesus any less faithful. It doesn't make his word any less good. It, we shouldn't question the command when we're facing the storms, but they find themselves in the storm. In fact, in this kind of time period, when they talk about, when literature talks about the sea, when they talk about waters and oceans, it is often symbolic of chaos and disorder. And so why the disciples are absolutely 100% really in a storm, They find their lives in chaos and disorder. And we haven't talked about this really yet through the Gospel of John, but darkness carries symbolism in the Gospel of John also. When John's referring to darkness or when he's talking about dark situations, he has this double meaning that, yes, it is really dark, it is really night, this is really happening, but he's also kind of symbolizing spiritual darkness. Moral failures and moral darkness. It says, you know, In chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He comes to Jesus in the darkness. Now, yeah, he absolutely came at night. Okay, that is true story. But the darkness is representing that as Nicodemus came to Jesus, he's living in spiritual darkness, trying to find out who Jesus is, trying to discover the light to get him out of the darkness. The disciples in the darkness have been sent there. And listen, we as Christians have been sent into a world of chaos and disorder. I mean, look at the world we live in. There's not a ton of organized anything. It's chaos. It's this disorder. And the world that Christians live in is spiritually dark. We live in a very spiritually dark world. And yet, Jesus has put us here for a purpose. And, it, and I know, man, there are times in life when it feels like we're just paddling as hard as we can, and we're not going anywhere like the rowing machine at the gym. You don't go anywhere. And so they find themselves in a very, very hard and difficult situation. In the darkness. And when you read the Gospel of John, and as you read these themes, your mind kind of should always kind of go back to the first 18 verses, the, the kind of the introduction to what John is writing about. Because in the midst of darkness, we can remember John chapter 1 where it says, In him, in Jesus was life, and life, and that life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness. There's a lot of questions I asked when I was studying this passage this week. One of them was, how did they see Jesus walking to them? It's dark because he is a light that shines through the darkness. Now, granted, they thought it was a ghost. Don't be hard on the disciples because if you're on the ocean in the middle of nowhere and it's dark and stormy and you see some person walking on the water... You're going to be scared too. Okay, I probably would, well, I don't swim that well, but if I could, I would jump off the boat to get away. Or I would start rowing faster. It's like, I don't know what that is, but I have never seen anybody walking on water in my entire life. Let's get out of here. So obviously they're afraid. They've never seen this before. It's funny that Jesus kind of piles on a little bit, right? They're afraid of the darkness. They're afraid of the storm. Now they're afraid of the ghost. Again, Peter's probably calling Ghostbusters. I don't know. And in the midst of their fear, I love this, in the midst of this fear, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the storm, the light of the world shows up. Now, one thing I do want to point out, because they, again, they said Jesus had not yet come. In their minds, they're alone. Jesus is not with them. What is Jesus doing? He's praying. So don't miss this. Jesus has never abandoned them. In fact, you can go into the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6, where this story is. It says that as Jesus is praying, he saw them straining at the oars. Jesus is very much aware of their struggles. And you know what? Jesus is probably praying for them while he's in isolation. He's praying for them. Listen, even though it says that Jesus had not yet arrived, it doesn't mean Jesus abandoned them. Jesus is with them. He sees them. He knows their struggles. He knows what they're going through. He didn't send them and leave them. He sent them, and he knew exactly what was happening. He knew exactly what was going on. The other question I wrestled with is why did Jesus send them? Well, I don't know the answer. Nobody really knows why he sent them into the storm other than you can see that he tested Philip, right? He said, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? And it was a test. Maybe he's testing his disciples. But in the midst of these tests, you know, I learned as a teacher. I wasn't a very good teacher, but I was a math teacher. And what I learned is most of my kids would always fail tests I would give. And if most of the kids fail, that's not them, that's me. I taught it poorly. But that, in the midst of the test, when they failed the test, guess what it was? Teaching moment. Teaching moment. It was a teaching moment for Philip. When he failed the test about how we're going to feed these people. This is a teaching moment for the disciples as they're rowing. That when they feel alone, they feel abandoned. Jesus is not abandoning them. And he's getting ready to teach them some amazing things. But one of the most important things is that he is always there. He's the light that shines through the darkness. He is the creator who calms the storm. But what I love the most... Yes, Jesus gets up to the boat. Now, I know it says he came near to the boat, so he's walking to the boat. Some people will tell you he just walked past the boat. That's not what he's doing. He's walking to them. He's going to them. And he says, what's up? Right? He goes, Nathaniel, you're working kind of hard there. Need some help? Right? No, he says, it is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. In the Greek, that is the phrase ego eimi, which means I am. Literally, Jesus walks up and he says, Don't be afraid. I am. That's all he says. Echoes of Exodus. The minute the disciples heard this, they're like, Wait a minute. I am. That's the name of God. Moses was on the mountain talking to the burning bush, and Moses says, I got to go tell them your name. What's your name? And God says, You tell them that I am sent you. And Jesus shows up in the middle of the storm, walking on the water, and says, Don't be afraid. I am, I am, I am here to take care of you, I am here to save you, I am here to shine light in the darkness, I am here, I'm here, in in the middle of a chaotic world, I am here, don't be afraid, listen, follow very closely. Whatever you're going through this morning, whatever Jesus has sent you into, don't ever forget, you don't have to be afraid because I am has got your back. I am, the great I am, will get you through everything. We talk about this as the fifth miracle. In a real sense, there's another miracle that happens because when Jesus gets on the boat, what happens? Immediately they're at the shore. Immediately they've gotten through the storm. Immediately they've gotten through the wind and the rain. Immediately they've gotten through the darkness because they welcomed Jesus onto the boat. Jesus has got your back. The great I am has you. He knows why he sent you. He knows how to get you through it. He knows where you're going. And he's going to be there. He won't leave you. He won't do it because he loves you. He loves these disciples. And he has a purpose for them. So then you see the kind of the response, which is a a comparison or a contrast to the response of the crowd. The crowd wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to take him by force. The response of the disciples is, you can get on the boat. You can get on the boat. Instead of saying, Jesus, we want you to do this, we want you to, before you get on the boat, get us there. Before you get on the boat, make the sun come up. No, they just said, Jesus... Please, get on the boat. They welcomed Jesus into their life. They received him. And they let him lead the way. The crowd of people, as we'll see next week, the crowd of people, they don't want Jesus to lead. They want all the benefits, but they don't want Jesus to lead. The disciples want Jesus to lead. They surrendered this situation. They surrendered the circumstances to him and immediately the storm was gone and they were at their destination this reminds us of Psalm 107 where it says the Lord brings us out of the stormy sea the Lord will always bring you out of the stormy sea now you may be at mile marker number one on your stormy sea I mean, just notice, three or four miles. You may have to go through a long journey, but Jesus will get you through the stormy seas because he is the great I am. He's the great I am. And that's what you have to take away. He's greater than Moses because he is the very one who talked to Moses in the burning bush. And so there's really just really two important theological truths that I need you to take home today. We've gone through application and some things, but there's really two very important theological truths that you have to see from the passage. The first one is Jesus is in control of all of creation. That's important to understand. Jesus was the agent of creation, which we've already looked at. He is in control of the creation. He can tell the storm to stop. And the second one is Jesus is in control of our situations. He's in control of your situations. Doesn't always mean it ends the way we want it to or happens the way we would like it. But he's in control of every situation. If he sends you to it, he will get you through it. Those are two very important things that you need to remember as we uh, go through our life. That Jesus controls creation. He controls our situations. He rescued his disciples. As we read and get to the end of the book, we're going to see that he rescues sinners too, that he rescues sinners from the darkness. That we are, as Christians were sent to live in the darkness and we're to be the light of Christ in the darkness. But for many people, they are trapped in the darkness. They're still living there. Their sins have them held captive and they have not seen the light. They're not following the light. They're trapped in darkness. And that might be you, I don't know. Have you let Jesus on board your boat? Have you said, Jesus, I'm gonna surrender it all to you and I'm going to let you lead my life. That's, that's the gospel. It's understanding that Jesus has died for your sins, that Jesus has made a path out of the darkness for you. And when you say yes to Jesus, you're instantaneously saved. You're instantaneously at that destination of having a relationship with God when you say yes to Jesus. When you say, I want you to forgive me, and it's really do you believe in Jesus you need to believe, repent, and follow. That's the, that's the gospel message. Believe in Jesus that he can save you and lead you out of darkness. Repent, turn away from the darkness, and decide to follow him. You're not going to be perfect, but you're going to let him transform you and lead your life. That's how your life is transformed, by just deciding to follow Jesus. Do you need to make that decision today? Do you need to find your way out of the darkness? Or are you just paddling and rowing, running into every rock? Flipping over, having to flip back over. Say yes to Jesus. And he'll immediately get you out of the darkness. During our invitation, I invite you to respond to that uh, invita- to, to respond to that. Come and see Jesus. Come and believe who he is and be forgiven of your sins.